Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, we're going to do a draft mailbag answering your questions. But first, wanted to tell you about another podcast, which is the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney. Three days a week, you get Buster Olney, who's one of the best in the business, plus great guests like Mike Trout, top managers like Dave Roberts, and the insights of general managers like Brian Cashman, along with regulars such as Tim Kirkchin, Jeff Passan, Sarah Lang, and Carl Ravitch. That's the Baseball Tonight podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Wanted to hit some of your guys' questions today. I think this is really good to do right before a sort of busy period. So did one before free agency, of course, do one before the season and here do one sort of as we're ramping up to draft season. So talking a lot today about maybe some trades that could happen, some, you know, sort of general drafting philosophies. I I have to admit, I don't have strong prospect takes, so I'll I'll be upfront about that. But I do think there's lots of questions to ask about the drafting process and how teams are going to approach things. And I'll I'll start with a question that really hits that from jcollin92 on Twitter, who asked, you seem to really believe in positional value. If you were a GM, would you draft quarterbacks more aggressively than most teams do these days? And this is a really good question. Now, positional value plays a huge role in the draft. It's something I'm going to touch on next week. I'm writing about Bijan Robinson, of course, the star back from Texas. And I don't want to make an argument for why he shouldn't be drafted in the first round or why he shouldn't be a top 10 pick. I don't think that's fair, really. But I think I'm going to touch on a lot of things when it comes to positional value and sort of one of the core tenets of the draft that I think people don't talk about as much as they should, which is even though we know in the veteran market, players at different positions get paid different amounts of money, that doesn't happen in the draft. You take a guy with the 10th pick, doesn't matter whether he's a running back, a quarterback, a long snapper, he gets paid the exact same amount of money for at least the first three years of the deal. In year four, it's usually the same as well. There could be some uh, you know, some bonuses in year four if you're a player taken after the first round. But for all intents and purposes, the first four years of a contract, a player is getting paid exactly the same. And there is a huge opportunity there because you're drafting a player for the same price, which is worth totally different amounts on the open market. So the the break-even point, I, I went and charted this for the 26th pick in the draft for this column, which is the Cowboys, which, as you can figure with a B. John Robinson-related topic, is, uh, you know, the Cowboys made sense to put in that spot there. If you can pick a quarterback who turns into a star at 26 more than 9.4% of the time, he's at least worth considering at that spot. So if you, have a, if you think a guy has a 1 in 10 chance of becoming a superstar quarterback, he's worth at least considering. Doesn't mean you have to take him but at least having on your board at 26. If it's a third round pick, if you're taking at the 90th selection, that only has to be 3.2%. If you're the same team and you're drafting a player, hmm, let's say you're drafting a linebacker in the third round, he has to have a 21% chance of becoming a star. I'm sorry, 20% of becoming a star at that same spot to justify taking him in that range there's just because quarterbacks make so much money 
the break-even point where you're realizing surplus value on a draft pick, given how much guys get paid in each spot of the draft, is so much higher with a quarterback than any other position in football. So to bring this back to Jay's question, yes, I think you should draft quarterbacks more often. I think you have to have good communication and trust with your starting quarterback because you want to avoid a Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love situation or a Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz situation. But the Jalen Hurts thing worked out fine for the Eagles in the long run. And we'll see. I think the Jordan Love situation is probably going to work out okay for the Packers. But I mean, I know Mike Holmgren and the Packers and and sort of his, you know, the, the, the coaching tree that came from him. They were very comfortable drafting quarterbacks when they had a guy they liked. And the hit rate does not have to be especially high for that to work out. So you want to add extra selections. You want to build a 53-man roster. You don't want to take you know seven quarterbacks a year, even though they have the best hit rate. But I think sprinkling them in makes a lot of sense, certainly more than most teams do building an NFL roster. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Michael Bleach asks, is tight end the hardest position to evaluate in the draft? And if so, why? The list of recent first-round tight ends is not all that great, while so many successes like Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, and George Kittle are round three or later. And it seems especially pertinent, Michael adds, with a deep tight end group this year. Michael's right. I mean, this is a very tough position to gauge. And it's very rare that you see a lot of tight ends go in the first couple rounds of the draft. I think it's only four times or five times that there have been five tight ends who have gone in the first two rounds of the draft. Last time that happened was 2017, and those five tight ends were O.J. Howard, David Njoku, Evan Ingram, Gerald Everett, and Adam Shaheen of the Bears. Njoku certainly you know, had a good season last year. Evan Ingram had, by some measures, a career year last year, but none of those guys have turned into superstars at tight end. And meanwhile, as Michael alluded to, the best tight end that draft was George Kittle, who was taken in the fifth round with the 146th pick in the draft. And I really thought about this, and it's such an interesting question because there's not one clear answer to me. I will say I think you're asking more of your tight ends at the professional level, and maybe you need more athleticism to be a great tight end at the professional level. I mean, in college, you're, you're probably blocking more than you are at the pro level. Maybe you have quarterbacks who 
aren't quite as comfortable throwing into tight windows over the middle of the field at the college level. So, you know, someone like a Kittle, uh, even though he runs routes and can run after the catch, might not get as many opportunities to catch the football as he would playing in a pro offense with a professional caliber quarterback. But the thing I would keep in mind is every position is hard to scout and hard to draft. So I, I would say the tight end seems particularly difficult. And I have to admit, I don't have a great answer for why, but I do believe that we're underestimating how difficult it is to draft quarterbacks or running backs or offensive linemen or defensive linemen or any other position in the draft. It's just really, really hard to get this stuff right. Ben Worth asks a Lions-related question. He says, would it be crazy for the Lions to draft a lineman like Wilson or Carter at six and then see if a quarterback falls and trade up from 18? As a Lions fan, this would create the most excitement possible as long as the price isn't too high. Well, of course, if you can get a quarterback without the price being too high and trading up, you'll take it. Uh, no issues there. But I guess the question I would ask is, do you guys think the Lions need a quarterback? Jared Goff is 28 years old. He was a playoff caliber quarterback in the second half of last season. Don't believe he threw an interception in the entirety of the second half of last year. Maybe that's not sustainable, but... Even if you sprinkle in two or three picks over that stretch, he looked really good. And there's plenty of playmakers around him. The offensive line is good. And we know when Jared Goff gets hot, he can be a Super Bowl caliber quarterback with the right help around him. I don't know that they need a quarterback of the future. If you get one, if someone falls to you at 18, hey, great. If it falls past 18 and you trade down, nothing wrong with that either. If you want to take you know, Hendon Hooker at the end of the first round, or if Anthony Richardson falls, or if Will Levis falls, and you like him, sure. But the only thing I would say is I would like to see them maybe either trade down or stay put at 18 because they did trade up last year for Jamison Williams. I know that trade did not seem like a particularly egregious move up, and I don't think it was a terrible move up by any means if Jamison Williams pans out. But they did give up some draft capital, and I just like to see teams that are rebuilding like the Lions were last year hold on to as much draft capital as possible unless it is for a quarterback. So there's a guy you love, go ahead and make a move. But I, I, I understand I just talked about, you know, drafting quarterbacks is valuable. Trading up makes that harder to succeed. The, the rates change if you're trading up for a quarterback and giving up more draft capital. So I would say stay put for the Lions. I don't think they're one player away. And I do think that Jared Goff deserves another year as the unquestioned starter before maybe in 2024. You have more realistic questions about whether Jared Goff entering the final year of his deal is your guy, you know, on an extension for the next three or four seasons. But I think a lot of teams would be pretty happy if they had Jared Goff under center. Lamar Crosby asks, in light of today's news about Belichick, quote unquote, shopping Mac Jones, which, uh, I don't know if that's news. I mean, certainly there are rumors, but what do you think the draft compensation would be? for the Patriots to move up and reunite Bryce Young with Bill O'Brien as his offensive coordinator in New England. Lamar guessed Mac Jones and a future one or two. Um, I would say that is a little generous uh, in terms of how people would evaluate Mac Jones. And I think you have to remember that teams don't operate in a vacuum. Teams are not naive. They recognize when you're trying to trade a distressed asset. I think if you're, you have a guy who you draft in the first round who plays so well as a rookie, and in year two, he struggles so much, and you're trying to get rid of him, teams are going to smell the same thing you're smelling. They're going to say, okay, the Patriots want to get rid of this guy. We're not 
going after him unless he's a guy who we think we can develop. We're not going to trade for him like he's the guy from his rookie season. We're going to trade for him like the guy who was struggling as a sophomore because it's going to be on us to rebuild him. So we're going to pay the price of a rebuilding quarterback as opposed to a, you know, a, a, a possible franchise quarterback. So if the Patriots just said tomorrow, hey, we're getting rid of Mac Jones, no matter what it costs, we're getting the best possible draft pick. I, I don't think he nets more than a maybe a, a two, maybe a late two or a, a third round pick or maybe a conditional pick. I, I don't believe he's going to be worth a first round pick if the Patriots trade him. Now to go from 14 to two, I'm reminded of what the Niners did in this range to move up to three a couple of years ago, and that was three first round picks. So I think if it's going to be Jones going to the Texans, even if they like Mac Jones, I think you're looking at probably two first round picks from the Patriots, Mac Jones, and probably another selection in the middle rounds, maybe a three or a four. Chris Romanu asks, best guess for who drafts at number three? Speaking of trade ups here, the Arizona Cardinals currently have the third overall pick. They should trade down. Um, they need draft capital after pretty much striking out in the first couple rounds over the past five or six years under Steve Kime with maybe uh, Buda Baker as an exception. This is not a roster that is close to competing. Kyler Murray is done for at least part of 2023. You would figure lots of issues with this roster, new people coming in, Monte Ostfort, uh taking over at GM. It makes all the sense in the world for them to trade down to a team that wants to get ahead of the Colts and draft a quarterback. At the very least, as I wrote in my column for ESPN this week, if they can't find any offers they like, trade down with the Colts from three to four, get them to believe that you're going to trade that pick away to someone who wants a quarterback and have the Colts will have to make sure they get that guy and grab a couple picks in the process as well. So I would say my best guess is the Colts because I do think they will be incentivized to move up ownership is maybe going to make a move without any, you know, without any regard for what other people in the building think. If it's not the Colts and it's not the Cardinals, because I want to give a fun answer besides those two teams. I keep thinking Tennessee. I keep thinking the Titans who they look like they're rebuilding. I mean, they got rid of most of their offensive line. They cut Bud Dupree. They're rumored to be moving on from Kevin Byer, their star safety. Uh, they're, they're just in a position where they're cutting salary. They're they're moving on from a lot of old players who, granted, admittedly, a lot of whom have been, had injury issues, but it feels like they're starting over in a lot of ways. And they have Derrick Henry in the final year of his deal and Ryan Tannehill in the final year of his deal. So even if they hold on to Tannehill and Henry, it sort of feels like they could move on and get a quarterback, and it's going to be tough for them to do that at pick 11. So um, you know, will Rand Carthen come in and trade two first-round picks or two first-round picks and somebody else? to move up from 11 to three. I think if there's a quarterback they love, they probably have to consider it. I know Malik Willis is still there. He didn't look very good as a rookie. You don't want to rule someone out after his rookie season, but certainly nothing about what we saw from Malik Willis as a rookie said he's ready to be the Tennessee quarterback in 2023. Uh, Sam Hoppen follows up with another Tennessee question. And if Tennessee trades up for Richardson or another quarterback, as I just suggested, do you think they have the infrastructure to properly evaluate him or have him succeed? I struggle to see how a rookie quarterback throwing to Traylon Burks, Nick Westbrook-Akine, and Chico Conquo is expected to have a decent rookie season. Well, I don't think that's wrong necessarily. I would also have some questions, but 
of course, it's not just about the rookie year. It's about the first three years, really, in evaluating a quarterback. So I would say that, you know, there, there's, there'll be time to improve this offense in the years to come. But I would also say, you know, we do see receivers take their biggest leaps from year one to year two. So not out of the question that Trey Lambert and Chico Conquo, who both of whom flashed as rookies, could be a pretty strong start to a receiving core by the end of the 2023 season. Uh, I'm honestly more concerned about the offensive line than the receivers. I mean, Andre Dillard, who was not a good left tackle at any point in Philadelphia, that was that's one of those things where like the internet or some some corners of the internet or maybe some people who are inclined to be friendly to agents have rewritten history. Like the idea that Andre Dillard was a, a solid left tackle but just happened to lose out to a, a better option in Jordan Mailata. Andre Dillard was terrible in the NFL at left tackle. When the Eagles needed someone to replace Jordan Mailata or Lane Johnson, they didn't bring him into the lineup as their swing tackle. They would put in Jack Driscoll instead. I mean, Dillard, it's worth taking a shot. It's like a one-year deal for $10 million. I understand, you know, the upside and a guy who was seen as a first-round prospect at left tackle. But that sort of memory holding, I think that's what a memory hole thing is. But I, just that idea of like, Oh, no, Andre Dillard was actually good this whole time. No, he's been bad as a pro. If he plays well this year, credit to Tennessee, but it is a risk putting him at left tackle. There's questions about who starts at guard uh, outside of Daniel Bruskell. And Derrick Henry might not be on this roster in 2023 by the time we get to September. So whether they keep Henry or not, this was already a very run-heavy offense. It was the most run-heavy offense in football and asked the quarterback and Ryan Tannehill to throw less frequently than just about anybody in football over the last three seasons. Justin Fields, of course, has has thrown the ball plenty, or thrown, not thrown the ball very much in Chicago last year. But I think if the if the Titans draft a rookie quarterback like Richardson this year, I think this is going to be like maybe the Ravens' offense when Joe Flacco was a rookie, where it was really just we're throwing the ball twenty five times a game max, whether we're trailing, whether we're up, we're going to try and keep the ball out of our quarterback's hands as much as possible. Bear down asked a question that I'm thinking about uh, heading into the draft. Which high-profile surprise trade for a player is most likely to happen at the draft? Uh, it gives the example of A.J. Brown last year, which, hey, A.J. Brown was a surprise, and Hollywood Brown was a surprise in last year's draft. DeAndre Hopkins doesn't count. He's obviously been rumored to be on the trade block for a while now. Certainly, Arizona has every reason to move on from him if he wants a new contract, given how messy their situation is to go with a longer shot option i would say mike evans the bucks are in really rough cap shape not just this year but also for the next couple years uh, as they've had to restructure a number of deals they they did restructure chris godwin's contract to create captors i thought he might have been a trade candidate but they did not restructure mike evans's deal mike evans is now entering the final year of his contract i think he's 30 now if i'm not mistaken he's either 29 or 30, as you can hear me typing to see how old Mike Evans is. He's 29, he turns 30 in August, so instincts were okay there. Um, there's questions about whether he's going to be on this roster in the years to come. And, and if Tampa does want to move up for a quarterback, if they do want to move up for somebody, you know, for a left tackle, they do need other pieces besides wide receiver. It's their deepest position, even if they trade Mike Evans with uh, Russell Gage playing behind Chris Godwin. I have to think they would consider moving Mike Evans if there's a match for him out there. Uh, I think they're not going to get a a Terry Kill or Devontae Adams-sized deal, but could they get a two 
or maybe could they use that as leverage to move up you know to the the bottom half of the top 10 or as part of their package to move up to the bottom half of the top 10 i think certainly that has to be within the realm of possibilities for tampa as they approach this sort of post tom brady transition zeke rises asks how does the commander's looming sale affect how the team handled free agency and how they'll handle the draft and i think we've seen there are they're basically on pause they are they have paused the menu they've stepped away to grab a drink and sell the team for seven billion dollars we've already seen that daniel snyder is using contract language to put signing bonuses on hold until may which couldn't have helped them not just you know in terms of actually paying people but also on the open market i mean if you're a you're a player you'd rather get paid in free agency in the middle of march as opposed to waiting for two more months to get that sort of windfall from a signing bonus in free agency going after lamar jackson would be such an obvious move for this football team a team that needs to you know rebuild its reputation in the area that needs to excite fans who have gone away from the Snyder era and they didn't even consider it publicly you know they went out and signed jacoby Brissett, who i love but the deal was great but they were ready to move forward with sam howell after one career start as their starting quarterback i I think it just feels like they're waiting for the sale to happen to do something more dramatic. I think Snyder is checked out. I think he doesn't want to spend any money. So I don't think it'll impact how they get the draft all that much. But, you know, I would say they're a team to watch. No other people have said this. I'm not the first person to think this. But if they get a new owner and it's June and Lamar Jackson is still unsigned, they could be a team that decides to take a swing. Maybe they send Jacoby Brissett to the Ravens as part of a deal uh, a sign and trade with Lamar Jackson. I think there's a there's a lot of intrigue about what happens after the ownership uh, sale happens, but I don't know if it's going to happen before the draft. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Nathaniel Mex, Mecky, sorry if I mispronounced your name. Nathaniel Mex, I believe, asks, given that this draft looks to be heavy in the high value positions, is trading up a good thing or would trading back be the right move? Obviously, it varies by team, but there's lots of really good players available. And I think that Daniel brought up the the most important point there, which is it does vary by team. I will say, on the whole, we are pretty bad as a community, whether it's draft Twitter, whether it's uh, whether it, it is the NFL itself, whether it's individual teams. I don't think we're very good at judging the quality of a draft class in advance until it actually happens. So I really think it comes down to how you feel about this particular class in your building. You know, let's say you want an edge rusher and there are six edge rushers in the same tier for you as your pick is five picks away. Well, I think you probably trade down, maybe not 30 picks, maybe trade down five, 10 picks and feel pretty good that you're going to land a guy in that tier for your roster. Now, if you're in the same spot, there's only one player left in your tier. I think you'd probably move up a couple picks and grab that guy if he's a must for your roster construction. I really think it's, there's not one solution here. I think it's about being flexible, but recognizing how you feel about this draft particularly, and then 
you know, being proactive on that day to try and account for what you see. Uh, proactive is the wrong word. Being flexible on that day in terms of what you see, in terms of where the draft is going, who's still on the board. And I think as you as your pick approaches, having conversations about, okay, what happens if this happens? What happens if there are four players at this position left for us on the board and we think they're all relatively similar? Because I think smart teams recognize, with exceptions here or there, their ability to pick players outside of a tier or within a tier, I should say, is not especially great. Nat Riggs asks, when you consider that the salaries of quarterbacks will increase with the salary cap, is there any risk for the Ravens that Lamar continues under the franchise tag and then demands $70 million per year? And he gives the example of the Dak Prescott negotiations, but more severe. And the answer, Nat, is absolutely that is a risk for the Ravens. That is the biggest risk for the Ravens right now. And that's why they gave Lamar Jackson the non-exclusive tag. They don't want it, Lamar Jackson, to be on this team on the franchise tag next year. They want this to be settled this offseason. I've brought up the financial reason. They want to get this done before Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Jalen Hurts will sign their extensions and raise the price of quarterbacks, which Lamar, understandably, will want to have his price raised as well. But also, they don't want to be stuck going year to year with Lamar on the franchise tag. It's not an ideal outcome for them. Financially, this year, next year, yes, they can make it work. They're not going to be able to pay Lamar Jackson that third franchise tag in 2025. And Lamar knows that. I would say Lamar's representation knows that, but Lamar, whoever is advising Lamar knows that. And that is the nightmare scenario for the Ravens because then they lose their leverage. If Lamar Jackson is one year away from free agency next offseason because he's been franchised and signed a tag and signed a franchise tag again, the Ravens run a serious risk of losing him for absolutely nothing, just like Washington did with Kirk Cousins several years ago. And Lamar Jackson is a much better quarterback than Kirk Cousins, but you can see how poorly that has worked out for Washington over the ensuing years once they lost Kirk Cousins for nothing more than a compensatory pick. So the Ravens gave Lamar the non-exclusive franchise tag because they want to maintain their leverage. They want to get an offer sheet. If they want to sign Lamar Jackson and they don't think they can get a deal done, the best way they can do it is to get someone to give him an offer sheet so they can match it. That is the the best case scenario for the Ravens. So I do believe they want to get a deal done this offseason and they are afraid of losing him to a series of franchise tags. Brian Murphy asks, if you had to bet Mina Kimes' salary on a team trading up, who would it be? Um, I, I would I would prefer not to bet my friend Mina Kimes' salary on any team trading up. But I will say, Brian, you left a loophole in your question. You did not specify which round it would be a trade up within. So maybe a team will trade up for a seventh round pick. Uh, being realistic, trying to answer the spirit of your question, I will say the Saints, just because they do this every year. They are a very aggressive team. They love to move up for players. They'll move up, they'll give up future picks to go for someone like a Marcus Davenport. They traded up for guys like Alvin Kamara and Eric McCoy, which, hey, you know, great. No issues there. Land two superstars. They've also moved up some other players who are not quite as exciting. Uh, I think Zach Baum, Zach Baum is one of them. Um, Davenport, obviously, that, that deal did not work the way the Saints hoped. So I would lean towards the Saints being a team that trades up. Um, I would also say maybe the Colts if they have to move from four to three, but we will see. Certainly uh, a lot of intrigue about which teams might get aggressive towards the bottom of the first round. Burn the points asks, if Anthony Richardson falls past 
fifth overall pick. Do you see any team trading up to go get him? I would say yes, absolutely. Although I suppose it depends on how far they have to move. Uh, if I'm being honest, we can never know. I'm not Mel Kuyper um, in terms of having a viewpoint into all 32 rooms and how every single team thinks. But I, I've heard from teams so far, and I've heard a pretty wide range of opinions. There are teams who think he's got a third, fourth, fifth round grade on him. And there are teams who see him as a, a first round pick, a legitimate first round pick. That's not surprising. That's not uncommon. I mean, there were teams who had mid-round grades on Patrick Mahomes, by all accounts. And Patrick Mahomes is coming out of Texas Tech. Uh, you have to have a vision to see what a guy is going to be like at the pro level, especially when he has not had necessarily great help around him or not necessarily had a, a great offensive scheme to work under. I know um, my friend Nate Tice has tweeted a bunch about the answers that the Florida offense gave Richardson and I would say not much. There have been lots of drops in that offense. So I, I think you're going to have to have an organization that really feels like, okay, we see the positives. We can mold the negatives. We're not in a rush with him. And maybe he has that kind of upside where you can, you know, the, the tools make him a Mahomes sized upside prospect, which is ridiculous. And nobody's Patrick Mahomes, but, um, you know, where, where there is, you know, that sort of Josh Allen kind of growth where even though the numbers are ordinary, he has that ability to be special if we put him in the right place with the right people and the right talent around him. And, and I think there would be someone who would trade up if he falls past five, because there's just so many teams in that middle tier of this year's draft who need a quarterback of the future. Tennessee, I brought up earlier, they come to mind. The Commanders, I don't think they're going to be very aggressive, but unless they think Sam Howell is their guy, which he's had one start, he was, I believe, a fifth round pick last year you would have to be really confident in that one game to not be willing to take a shot on Anthony Richardson if you think he's you know, a, a first-round caliber talent. The Bucks, uh, of course, with, with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask at quarterback, I think they have to consider trading up. And the Vikings. I think the Vikings are a, a quietly lurking team for a possible trade up with uh, Kirk Cousins entering the final year of his contract. I know they've restructured it multiple times, but uh, this is not a brain trust that that you know signed or traded for, didn't trade for, but signed Kirk Cousins to multiple long-term deals in the first place. This is a brain trust that inherited Kirk Cousins, and I think they would like to get a quarterback to mold, whether that's Richardson or somebody else. So it wouldn't be shocked if they got aggressive and moved up for a quarterback if one falls past the fifth overall pick. Ian Larkin. Uh, I'll finish up here. Ian Larkin asks, will there be a rush of teams trying to trade down once the four quarterbacks are off the board, will teams be able to trade up for less than traditional cost because of the depth of the draft and the lack of first round star power? And this is a good question because I think sometimes we make it easier. I know I do. I write a column literally about, you know, 32 trades for teams moving up and down. Um, I, I think we sort of, we see it from the perspective of the team where it's okay. There's not someone we love. Let's trade down. There isn't always a partner on the other side waiting to trade up if there's no one really exciting available at your spot well chances are most other teams are going to feel the same way and you're not going to have a, a trade partner so there are plenty of times where you know you hear from teams who are say okay we were happy to trade down that spot but we really didn't get any good offers you might get bill belichick calling with some terrible offer because he's smart and wants to you know buy a pick for pennies on the dollar but typically 
You know, there are times where teams want to trade down and have no choice. And there are also, I should say, plenty of times where a team does have legitimate offers to trade down and just falls in love with a prospect and regrets doing so in the in the in the years ensuing. But to answer Ian's question, I would say I don't think there will be teams able to trade up for less than the traditional cost after the four quarterbacks are off the board because there are still plenty of players at premium positions available. There's going to be left tackles available in the middle of the first round. There's going to be wide receivers in the middle of the first round, edge rushers, defensive tackles available in the middle of the first round. And those are those are premium positions in the National Football League. You're going to see just how premium they are in this column next week. But yes, there is a Bijan Robinson available. Yes, cornerbacks are available in the middle of the first round. Those are not typically as premium of positions. Some interior linemen maybe as well. And of course, tight end, which is, you know, seems premium. And sometimes when you have a Travis Kelsey, it feels premium, but not a position the league typically values. So I will say everyone will see the draft differently with teams, different teams will have different boards, but I do think there's enough in the way of interesting players that there won't be a desperate urge to move down in that middle range. And if teams do want to move down, I think they'll probably get a pretty fair price from teams moving up for a wide receiver or for a left tackle. Okay, um, that is it today. I hit a bunch of your questions. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I really like doing these every every few months. I just feel like there's a really cool opportunity to hit some questions I haven't thought about or you know think about stuff differently. Um, certainly, you always want to have guests on who you know answer my questions, but I think it's cool to kind of flip the, the the story sometimes as well. So, hope you guys learned a little bit about the draft. Hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, talking about some of these teams and we'll be back next week with a a guest probably and uh, more NFL draft content here as the draft approaches on the Bill Barnwell show. So thanks so much for listening.